0: So earlier this week, I was reminded by uh, a commentary piece I heard on on NPR, National Public Radio. There was a commentary that was talking about this event that happened more than 20 years ago um, in 1995. 1995, in the summer of 1995, the Major League Baseball All-Star Game was being played in Arlington, Texas, the home of the Texas Rangers. Um, And just 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 a couple of miles away, not very far, at the Baylor University Medical Center, In conjunction with the kind of all-star festivities that were happening at that time, Mickey Mantle, the Mickey Mantle, was giving a short press conference there at the medical center in Dallas. Now, the all-star game was pretty special to to Mickey Mantle. He played 18 years of professional baseball, and during that time, he played in 16 all-star games. But now, in 1995, Mickey Mantle is 63 years old and in such a state of frail health that he couldn't even attend the game, let alone think about playing in one. He had just received a liver transplant at Baylor that, for the moment, for that just brief moment, had saved his life. But ultimately, and only a few weeks later, he would succumb to the liver disease that he had been fighting, the cancer that he had been fighting for, uh, for years. Now, Mantle, of course, was a legend in baseball in the 1950s and the 1960s, at a time when, when baseball was still undisputably the, the, the ruler of, the, the ruling sport in the hearts of, of kids all over the country. And the Mick, as he was, as he was known, was the king. Almost, almost every little boy at one time or another during that time period on some sandlot across the country had pretended to be in the bottom of the ninth, Mickey Mantle playing for the New York Yankees, hitting a home run to win the game. And it was Mantle's status, it was, a, it was that status as someone who was emulated by so many during his career, a hero in their eyes, it was that fact that made it so ironic the message that he came to bring at that press conference in 1995 because he spoke directly to the kids, and he, and he said, I want to say, this is what he said, I want to say to the kids out there, take a good look. Said, you want, you want to talk about a role model, he said. He said, this is a role model. Don't be like me. With tears in his eyes, he said, God gave me a body. He gave me the ability to play baseball, and that's what I wanted to do, and it was just wasted it wasted. I was given so much, and I blew it. And that was an emotional moment because Mandel was coming face to face with the consequences of the choices that he had made ac- across his entire life, the, the neglect of his family, the, the addiction to alcohol that had led to the problems that, that were killing him. And here he is looking the world in the, lo- uh, world, the, world in the eye and saying, don't imitate me, now, interestingly, that's the exact opposite of what the Apostle Paul is saying here, right, to the church in Corinth. Paul is saying, yes, imitate me, which raises an interesting question. Why would Paul say something like that? Now, I mean, on the one hand, morally speaking, you might argue, okay, well, there seems to be a pretty clear contrast here. Maybe Paul had a right, a right to say it. I mean, don't imitate, you know, some of the poor choices that someone has made. Imitate Paul. He's, he's making good moral choices. But on the other hand, you might look at Paul and say, what? Isn't that a little bit arrogant to kind of stand up and say, look, look, here, you want to be like someone, here I am, imitate me. Why would he say that? Why would he say that to struggling Christians trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus? Say, no, follow me, imitate me. And there's, and there's three reasons that he gives in what we, in what we read. And, and they, they follow just logically in the order that, that we read them. Paul says, why, why should you imitate me? He says, imitate me because, because first of my relationship with you. That's verses 14 and 15. And secondly, imitate me because of my example for you. That's verses 16 and 17. And then he says, imitate me because I'm coming to you. That's verses 18 to 21. Right? So imitate, imitate me first because of my relationship with you. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. Paul says, I'm not writing this to shame you, but to warn you as my dear children. Even though you have 10,000 guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Now, look at how Paul says this. You don't have to have been here last week, and you don't have to have read the verses that immediately precede this to notice that there seems to be a shift in tone here, that Paul's kind of shifting. Because in what Paul said just before this, in fact, he he did, he was bitingly critical of the Corinthians, even sarcastic. He was very strong. But here, what he's doing, he's saying, "Look, look. You have to understand the reason why I'm why I'm doing this. I'm I'm not taking it back. I'm not saying that I shouldn't have said what I've said. I'm not changing my mind. I'm not I'm not saying that you shouldn't have shouldn't listen to the criticism. But but you have to understand why I'm saying them to you. I'm not saying it to shame you. I'm saying it because I love you, to warn you. I'm am coming as a loving father would warn his children, not with harsh indifference, not with not with cruelty, but with real anguish, with real." concern. And, and and here's the here's the difference. Do you see the phrase there? Ten thousand guardians. In some translations it says countless guides. Even though you have ten thousand guardians, even though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. The word the word there for, for guardians, for for guides, is it's the Greek word pedagogos, right? And it's it's hard to translate. It's it's hard to put into English because we don't really have a good cultural equivalent for what it was talking about right because it was used it was a word that was used to refer to a member of the household usually a slave who was who was assigned the special responsibility of caring for a son from the household right to making sure that that son was doing what he was what he was supposed to to do so we don't have a really good kind of cultural equivalent i mean a, a nanny sort of a tutor sort of but you know, a guardian sort of, but but in other words, this, this guardian, this this guide, was the one in in the culture of the time who was responsible for making sure that the boy got to school, that he that he did his schoolwork, that generally he was he was staying out of trouble. Now there were times w- you know, when this guardian cared very little for the child, was actually mean and cruel, took out their anger against the master on the on on the child. But but the position was generally respected in the in in the world of the time. Right? And there were times that where there must have been a great degree of affection that would have built up between this guardian, this guide, and the, and the, and the child, and the, and the son. And that's probably the sense in which Paul intends the phrase here, because he's likely referring, he doesn't seem to be being negative, and he's likely referring to the other Christian leaders that he's been talking about through the first four chapters of, of the letter. He says, look, you've had, you've had lots of people in your life. Right? Paul, Ap- or Peter, Apollos, other, other leaders like that. He said, and they're, and they're fine. They're good. They've had a relationship with you. But, but they're not like me. They're, they're guides. They've been helpful. But I'm your father. See, Paul, had, he had planted this church. He was likely the first for many of them who had ever even told them about, about Jesus. And he's not trying to be arrogant, saying, like, I'm better than those guys. No, he's, he's displaying the depth of his love for them. Now, obviously, you can, ha- you can have fathers who are abusive, and you can have guardians who are very, very loving. But if you assume the best of both of those relationships, there is a difference between a parent and a temporarily assigned tutor. Right? Because with a parent, the relationship is, is, is deeper. You're, you're made of the, of the same stuff, and it's permanent. You can't just dissolve it. It's not just a temporary assignment. Okay, here, go do this job it's permanent you can't just dissolve it you can't it just it doesn't just go away that's the that's the thought that Paul is trying to express here so do you see then how that matters why that matters then in verse 16 when Paul says therefore because I'm your father because I have this relationship with you therefore I want you to imitate me in other words I want you to imitate me because I because I'm your father because I know you Because the depth of the relationship has has communicated to you over time and because of my commitment that I I not only know you well, I am for you. I am on your side. And think about that. Because if you're going to pattern your life on someone else, imitate them, then there should be a pretty high degree of trust that they know you and what will be best for you and that they are for you, that they want to help you achieve that, that best. The closer the relationship that you have to someone, proven by experience over time, then the greater your ability to know that they, they know and understand you and that they are for you and on your side. Right? They, they know you accurately and that they love you unconditionally. And so that's why Paul says to the, to the Corinthians, he says, I want you to imitate me first because of my relationship with you, because I'm your father. Now, second, he says, I want you to imitate, imitate me because of my example for you. Look back at verse 16, right? So here's the hinge. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. Then says verse 17, for this reason, because I want you to imitate me, for this reason, I'm sending to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. So Paul's sending sending Timothy, or some believe had already sent by this point, sending Timothy, his trusted right-hand man, to the Corinthians. And what's Timothy's job? What's he going to do? He's going to remind them about how Paul lives. In other words, if you're going to imitate someone, then you need, have, you need to have something to imitate. You need to know about them. You need to know what they're doing. Timothy's going to remind them. He's going to say, remember, guys, this is, what, this is what Paul's like. Imitate him. Now, this is where we have to be very careful. Right, and beware of some kind of misunderstanding. So let's just talk for a second about the cautions. Right? First, he says, Imit, Im, imitate me. Paul, Paul's saying, he's not saying when he says imitate me, he's not saying worship me. Right? We, don't, we don't use people to replace God. And if you thought that Paul was saying this, then all you need to do is go back and read 1 Corinthians chapters 1, 2, and 3 uh, leading up to this point. Because that's exactly what Paul has been arguing against, the, the, the holding up of an individual and worshiping them. Right? No, so he's, he's not saying that. In, in fact, if, for example, if you just want one example, turn back to chapter 3, verse 5. Right? He says, Paul writes, What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants, through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it Grow. See what he's doing. He's being very careful. He he wants he wants you to understand that that the imitation of a person is not intended to be worship. That's not that's not what he's saying when he says imitate me. Right. But in other words, what he is saying, because he wants imitate me. Right. I want you to. I, I want, I'm sending you Timothy, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus. Because what he does want them to see is, I want you to imitate my life only to the extent that my life conforms with Jesus, the life of Jesus. In other words, only follow me on the path of life to the extent that Jesus is ahead of me on that same path. That's the only way that I want you to imitate me, and it's the only way that I want you to follow me. That's what Timothy's going to remind them of. He's going to remind them of Paul's way of life as, as Paul's life is in Christ Jesus. Paul says this kind of thing all the time. He says, follow my example, look at me, imitate me. Verse, uh, chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians, though, verse 1, is actually probably the, the, you know, the clearest, most explicit example of, of, of this being his intent. Chapter 11, verse 1, Paul says, follow my example, basically the same thing, as I follow the example of Christ. You know, that's, that's, see, that's exactly what he's saying. I want you to imitate me as I am in, as I am in Christ. And, and what that means, then, when he says, imitate me, follow my example, is that the Corinthians don't just do what he says or what he does because he said it or because he did it. No, what Paul's doing is he's placing himself intentionally under a greater authority because he wants them to imitate. Look at the, at the end of verse 17. He wants them to imitate his way of life because it agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Now, we can't forget, we can't separate the fact here that, that Paul is an apostle, that doesn't mean that he that doesn't mean that he's perfect morally, it doesn't mean that he never sins. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that he didn't at times make, make bad decisions. But the but the gospel message that God had given him to teach, and what we have recorded here in the scriptures, by nature of his office and by nature of how the Holy Spirit used him, the message of his teaching is authoritative. And so what Paul is doing is subjecting himself, subjecting his life and behavior to his own teaching. He's asking them to judge it on that, on that basis. He's in, judge me by the same standard. Judge it in the way that it reflects to the teaching that I teach everywhere. Right? In other words, to the extent that my life matches the gospel that I have been teaching, then imitate me. And this is critically important for us, to, to prevent the abuse of authority when saying something like this. Because when some other person... Even a person whom, we, whom, whom you might respect or of, of whom you might have thought, well, if that person asks you, calls you to imitate them, to follow them in a way that is inconsistent with the teaching of God as revealed in the Scripture, then you do not imitate them. No parent, no pastor, no, no teacher, no coach, no one is an authority unto themselves and without constraint. All authority is given by God and must be exercised consistently with the standard that God provides. And if, and if it's not, then that authority is neither binding, binding nor worthy of imitation in any kind of way. Now, we can kind of assent to, to something like that. We can agree wholeheartedly with that because, because the concept of sort of using, you know, a, an overarching authority to, to prevent abuse, to come to the defense of the, of the weak and the abused, those are things that we can resonate with and say, absolutely, by all means— Yes, they need to submit to, to a greater authority, but if, but if, and perhaps a little bit more pointedly to some of us, if we grant that, some author- that that authority exists, then at the same time what it means is that we can't change the teaching of God as revealed in the scriptures. I mean, yes, we, we can use this, this overarching authority, this teaching that Paul is subjecting himself to to challenge the one who would, might abuse the position and say, imitate me, do what I do. But it also challenges us because it means that the teaching of God, the message of God, doesn't change. It doesn't change based on the, on the, the, on the cultural norms of a particular society at a particular time in history. It means that someone like Paul would never be able to get up and say, look, I know, I know what, what, what the teaching is, okay? But you know it's just it's just becoming so it's just becoming so unpopular, so we'll just leave that over there and and just 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 follow me just just imitate me no, Paul can't say that that's that's not what it means. he doesn't want us to misunderstand what he means when he says to imitate and to and to follow him, but okay, so all that aside, those are the cautions, those are the misunderstandings, the things that we need to be aware of, but just because we want to avoid the misunderstandings, that doesn't mean that we can ignore the very clear implication of what Paul's saying here, because there's something very practical he's saying. He's saying, I want you to follow me, imitate me, and, and and embedded in that is an appropriate encouragement for us to both look to other Christians that we can imitate, and to ourselves, look look to people that we might call, like Paul is calling, to imitate us, right? For, it, means, it means that you should look for people to imitate. I I tell couples all the time when we're doing premarital counseling all the time. You should look for, you should look for couples who are in marriages that are various stages that are different than yours. Right? Not couples that think they have it all together, that, that think they're perfect. No, stay away from those couples. No, you want, you want to look for couples who recognize their own weakness, who understand the, the, the grace of God in their lives and how it works in marriage. And you should, you should look to them. And you should, to the extent that's appropriate and to the extent that they're trying to follow Christ in their marriage, you should look to imitate them. Ladies, I was talking about the, the women's Bible study a minute, a minute ago, right? The, the, one of the themes this year is spiritual mentoring, right? Ladies, you should be there right? and look for women that you can imitate as they follow Jesus. Look for other women that you can, uh, b- because you might be farther along the, the, the road than they am in the road of life in particular areas, look for ways in which they can, you can call them to imitate you. Guys, same thing, right? right find someone. I was just, I was just talk, telling someone the other day about the impact of, I, wasn't, I, I, I didn't warn him, about the impact of Frank Barlow in my life. I was just telling somebody, Frank's one of our elders, he's here today, and he's embarrassed because I'm saying this, but, 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 but seriously, I was just telling someone the other day of, of, of how he had made an impact in my life, because, uh, because and, I, and, and, and I knew him before I was, before I was a pastor, um, before, before I started coming, before I was coming here to Faith Church, before I was married, this is more than 15 years now. And we rode the train back and forth to, to Philadelphia together because I've worked in Philadelphia, as, as he does. And, and for years I got to watch him, day in, day out, read his Bible, open his Bible, talk about his love for Christ, his love for the church, his, his struggles through, through life in a very real, honest way. And not because Frank is, is perfect. He'd be the first one in line to tell you that he's, that he's not. But, but because as I watched him following Jesus, it made me want to follow Jesus more. That I imitated him. You look for someone like that. It's not cultic. Right? It's not hero worship. It, it's a desire to learn how to follow Jesus from someone who's already on the path. Right? But don't just look to imitate someone. Like I said, look for someone like Paul who you can call to imitate you. Now, now, this is where it can, it can get scary. Like, don't get, it doesn't have to be creepy. You don't have to go up to someone and say, would you let me love you? <laughs> right. But, but honestly, intentionally look out for others that you're going to, to invest time in, right? particularly when you know you've walked roads that, 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 that they're walking now. Again, not because, not because you want them to follow you because you're you. That would actually kind of disqualify you from the task, but because you yourself are following Jesus and because you know that as you follow Jesus, your joy in following Jesus will be magnified as others are coming along that same road and following him too. Right? So that's the second, perhaps the, perhaps the more powerful reason why Paul is calling the Corinthians to, to imitate him. Paul says, imitate me because, because of my example, because of my life in conformity with the authoritative teaching of God. Follow me because of that. So first was imitate me because of my relationship with you. Second was follow me because of my example, my example for you. And third, and, and finally, right, imitate me because I'm coming to you because of my coming to you. In verses 18 to 21, Paul indicates that he's on his way to Corinth, and he's coming, and he's sending, he's sending Timothy ahead of him, but his intention, God willing, he says in verse 19, is to be there himself, to come very soon to the Corinthians, to these, these children of his whom he loves. And he says it's his intention when he gets there to confront those who have been opposing his teaching to put their teaching to the, to the test to see whether that teaching that they're following actually has any real power at all whether it really has the ability to change lives like he knows the gospel of his teaching does and Paul's saying look there's really two ways that we can go about this he said there's two ways that it can go it's your choice we can do it the hard way or we can do it the easy way it's up to you right verse 21 which do you prefer Right? Shall I come to you with a whip, with the rod of judgment, or should I come to you with a gentle spirit where we can all rejoice together about what God has done? It's your choice, right? Whatever works, whatever works to motivate you, right? if it If it helps, imitate me, right, because you want to prevent the unpleasantness, or imitate me because, because you want to, to, to have the joy of being united with your spiritual father. But in either case, it's less about me. Imitate me because because, of my, because my coming demonstrates to you, because my coming to you communicates to you that I still deeply care about you. I, he's changing his schedule. He's going out of his way to completely alter his life to go to the Corinthians. See, when, when we find others who are following Jesus and we start watching and we start imitating, or when others find us and they start watching and they start imitating, they start being curious, they look at us, when we do that, right, not, not because not because of us, remember, but because of because of Jesus. But when we do that, when we're following, we're following under the authority of Jesus. When we do that, it's a long-term proposition. Those kinds of relationships aren't things that just they just happen in an instant. They're the long-term relationships. That's what Paul's doing here. He loves these people. He's going to them. Here's what I mean. So in 1953, more than 40 years earlier the, that, from that press conference in 1995 when Mickey Mantle gave his sort of press conference of regret. More than, more than 40 years before that, in 1953, um, 17-year-old Bobby Richardson was drafted by the New York Yankees. And the Yankees brought him up to, to, to New York by train from his small town hometown of Sumpton, South Carolina, Sumter, South Carolina, for a four-day workout with the world champion New York Yankees. 17 years old in the presence of legends in Yankee Stadium, sort of the cathedral of American sports. And Richardson says he got there and he was nervous out of his mind. I mean, he, he, he took some ground balls, he did some fielding practice and stuff, but when it came time to bat, he couldn't bring himself to get up in line to bat in front of these men, these heroes of his. And, and that's when he felt a hand on his shoulder, and it was Mickey Mantle. Now, Mickey Mantle was only four years older than him, actually. He was only 21 years old, but he was already an all-star. He was already one of the best players in, in baseball. And this, this, this young legend put his hand on, on this 17-year-old kid's shoulder and said, come on, come in here and take some swings. And that's how they first met. Bobby Richardson played his entire career with the New York Yankees, and he became very, very close friends with Mickey Mantle. Lots of experiences, influenced each other, and, and talked many times in many different kinds of ways. Now, Richardson was never the kind of, I mean, he was a key player on what was probably one of the best teams in the history of, of baseball. He was a key player, he was a good player, but he would never have kind of the Hall of Fame kind of status, the, the, the hero, icon kind of status of Mickey Mantle. And in addition to that, Richardson was a committed Christian, at a, time in his, at a time in sports, even more so than today, actually, if you look, where, where being a Christian in professional sports was really looked was really strange, right? because because when he was 14 years old, he had a pastor come into his home and sit at his table and explain to him that despite the fact that he came from a good family, that he was a, that he was a good kid in many kind of outward respects, that he was a, re- a rebel against God and he needed God's grace in his own life, and he became a Christian when he was 14 years old. And he made different choices than Mantle. I mean, he, in, in fact, he was ridiculed for, for, for some of them by his, by his teammates. He, he was called, along with one of the other players, he was called one of the milkshake twins <laughs> because that's as close to the strong drink as, as, as he got. Right? But Mantle was his friend, and they would often have conversations in the clubhouse, in the dugout. Some of the other teammates would actually tease Mantle about it, conversations about Jesus, about the gospel. Now, Mantle was just watching. He wasn't, he wasn't really interested that much, but he was intrigued about this life that was, that was different than his. Now, Mantle, of course, chose a different path. Richardson retired at the age of 30, spent more time with his kids in the prime of his career. Mantle kept playing, and, and, and actually, at his 1995 press conference, his son Danny was sitting next to him, and it was part of the emotion of the press conference when he began to, to cry with disgust at himself and said, I was nothing like a father. His son's sitting right next to him. I don't even remember playing catch with my boys in the backyard. I was a drinking buddy, but I was never a dad. And so in 1995, kind of fast forward back to... Richardson, Bobby Richardson is also in Dallas for the All-Star Game. And somebody gives him Mantle's phone number. And so Richardson calls him up, and they talk, and they, they have a good conversation, and they hang up the phone. And the very next morning... Mickey Mantle calls Richardson's hotel room at 6 a.m. And Richardson's wife, Betsy, answers the phone, and Mantle says, Betsy, can I, can I speak to Bobby? Is Bobby there? I want him to pray for me. And so Richardson got on the phone, and he did. He prayed, he prayed with Mickey Mantle, and he read to him from the Bible, and he told him things that he had told him lots of times throughout his life. He told him that all the hurt, all those things that came out in the press conference, all of that, all of that pain, he can bring it, he should bring it to God. Now, Richardson went home to South Carolina. But a few weeks later, he received a call from the family saying, Mickey is failing and he wants you to come to him. And so he did. He got on a plane and he flew back to Dallas. And when he went into the hotel room, big smile, or the, the hospital room, he goes into the hospital room, a big smile comes across Mickey Mantle's face and he says, Bobby, I've been waiting to tell you something. He said, I want you to know that I've received Christ as my Savior, that I've become a Christian. And Richardson said they cried together, and they, and they prayed together, and they talked. He said, admittedly, he said, I was, I was a little bit skeptical. He had spent years, decades, talking to him about Christ. He said, all right, let's go, let's go over this again. <laughs> and so they went through it, and they talked through it, and Richardson said it was absolutely amazing. The faith was real. This was a changed man. And Bobby Richardson, this formerly awed 17-year-old kid who had played in the shadow and in the presence of a baseball god was now this man's spiritual father. And like Paul to the Corinthians, Richardson had returned. He had gone home to him. He had gone to Mantle. After years of encouragement and loving confrontation and teaching him the gospel, Richardson arrived to see his friend days from death, but celebrating eternal life. See, loving someone, entering into their lives, inviting them to walk the road with you can sometimes be a very long road. So we imitate Paul. But here's the, here's the question, right? Do we imitate Mickey Mantle? Do we take his advice? Should we follow what he said, kids, don't imitate me. Don't be like me. Well, I mean, in many practical respects, let me be clear, you'd be better off imitating Bobby Richardson. He chose a different path. He, he loved baseball, but he didn't worship it. He chose to spend more time with his kids and his, and his family. He went and got involved in his community. He's, he's, he's still living today. He's 80 years old, still living in the town where he grew up in Sumter, South Carolina. Still married to the wife that he married in 1956. Right? So in many respects, you look at that and say, no, yeah, he's the, one, he's the one you want to imitate. But in another respect, don't be too quick to dismiss the possibility of imitating Mickey Mantle. Maybe not so much in how he lived most of his life, but in how he died. There's there's nothing that's more incredibly tragic than when someone digs in their heels at the end of a hard life and blames God for their misery. And there is nothing more incredibly humble and incredibly honest than to do what Mantle did and recognize his failure for what it was, his rebellion. God gave me a gift, but I wasted it. Mantle's recognition at his death, of his rebellion against God, of his turn, and his turning to the mercy of Jesus, that is something to imitate. Because at the end of a life of incredible worldly accomplishment, he realized that not only had he gained nothing, he had lost everything. And so the mighty Mick becomes our example by setting aside his pride, going to Jesus, and dying well. Now, you might not want to imitate much of his life, but in the humility of his death, there is much to imitate. When the Roman centurion looked up at Jesus as he hung on the cross, the Bible tells us that he confessed and said, surely this man was the Son of God. And it tells us that he said that because he saw how he died now, of course, with Jesus, we have the benefit of both. We can imitate him in how he lived, and we can imitate him in how he dies. But for the Roman centurion, it was watching the death of Jesus that was incredibly significant. And that's with good reason. Because in the death of Jesus, we see the ultimate act of humility not a pretender sports God, but the real God. The God who who created the universe, dying under the weight, dying under the consequences of the sins of his spiritual children. My sins. Your sins. Paul says to imitate him because of my relationship. He says, imitate me because of my relationship with you, because of who I am. Imitate me because of my example for you. Imitate me because of what I've done. Imitate me because I'm coming back to you. But the only reason why Paul is able to say that, the only basis for him being able to say, imitate me because of who I am, because of what I've done, and because I'm coming, is because Jesus is the one who says, imitate me because of who I am, because of what I've done, and because I'm coming coming back. Follow me because of who I am. Jesus, the Son of God, who for all eternity stepped into time, Follow me because of what I've done, because he lived the perfect life that we refused to live and died the sacrificial death that we needed to die but couldn't. Follow me because I'm coming back, because Jesus is returning to test whether there's really any power in those things that we say are going to change us. And he's going to come in one of two ways he's going to come with the rod of judgment, or he's going to come in love with a gentle spirit to receive those who have experienced the grace that he offers. Which do you prefer? Now, there's really kind of three types of people, as I, as I think about it, who are, are, are here. Right? There, there's the Bobby Richardsons among us, those who, by the grace of God, experienced very, very early in their lives an understanding of who God is, of their own failures, who, who repented of their, of their rebellion against God and were able to experience throughout their lives the grace of living and following, of having good examples, of living in that way making good choices because they had good choices modeled before them because, because by the grace of God, they were able to do that. There's those among us. And for those, that, that, that's where the encouragement comes in. Right? Find those who, who can follow you, who can come after you, to whom you can be an example. Lead them as Christ is leading you. But there's also the Mickey Mantles. Right? The, the, those among us whose lives are filled with regret, with more pain perhaps than we wanted, than we wanted choices that we wish wish and wish that we could undo, if that's you, then then the example of Mickey Mantles is yours yours too. Come to him. Confess that and experience the grace that he offers. But you know there's a third group, and this is what becomes dangerous when you talk about two kind of extreme examples of a life like Bobby Richardson's and a life of hard drinking and hard living like Mickey Mantle's. There's a third group of people, and those are the people that are, I would kind of think of as they're the fake Bobby Richardsons, right? the ones who kind of look at the Mickey Mantle's and say, oh, yes, they need to change. They need to change. And you can tell if you're one of those because you've spent most of this sermon kind of thinking about, I know a Mickey male in my life. I do. And they really needed to be here to hear about this gospel thing. I know lots of Mickey Mantles. And you spend more time thinking about that than you are thinking about the own areas of your life where you fall short of the standards of God and how the grace of God has changed you. The gospel message is regardless of where he gets you. It is the grace of God that saves you, not anything you've done, not the morality of your life. And so come to him, follow the example, follow Paul, follow Christ, show humility, and be thankful for what you've been given. Let's pray together. Our Father, there is absolutely no basis that we have to be able to come to you, no basis of morality, no basis of good choices. Everything that we have is a gift gifts sometimes, Lord, that we use to great effect, and I'm thankful for those people in my life, the people in this church who are using and honoring you with the things that they've been given, not in perfection, not in ways that point to themselves, but in ways that testify to the goodness and the grace of God. But Lord, there are also those that very clearly and very, uh, very loudly waste the gifts that you've given. And yet, God, even in that, there's the opportunity to see how there is no power in the things that they pursue. That only in you is the power to change. Only, to you is the, only in you is the hope of, it, of eternal life. Only in you is the hope of restoring those things that are broken, of regrets being able to be undone and redeemed. And so, Lord, we come praying and praising you for what you've done for us in Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.